downloading today's alumni podcast. I'm your host, Josh Van Campen, and today we've got a special guest, Social Impact Manager at Fremantle Foundation, Hannah Fitzrabbit. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me along. No, I really appreciate you coming in, and uh, it's an amazing role that you have at the Fremantle Foundation, but we'd love to hear more about it. What is the Fremantle Foundation? Sure. So the Fremantle Foundation is a community foundation. Community foundation model is one that is global. It really started off in America and Canada. Yep. There's community foundations all over the world that range from a few years old to 100 plus years old. The Fremantle Foundation, we're quite new. We're approaching eight years old and we're really established to help people do philanthropy. So we do expert fund management and grant making advice to donors and the, the role is to really encourage people to engage in philanthropy. Can you give us an example of any projects or initiatives that you're currently working on? Sure. So. In my role as social impact manager, I facilitate the grant making side. So I work with individual donors who hold what we call named funds with our organisation. Okay. I help them grant to areas that interest them. So I work with them to see what they're really passionate about. And then I help them research different organisations that are doing good in the local area or beyond. And I also um, facilitate a giving circle called Impact 100 Fremantle, which is a really great concept. So it takes 100 plus donors. They give $1,000 each. And then they pull together their money to give away a high impact grant of $100,000 each year to a local organisation. And they get to be really hands-on in that grant making process from the beginning. So from setting the focus for the grant that year to accepting the expressions of interest to kind of going over and analysing the grant applications and then having site visits with the organisation and ultimately deciding where to grant that $100,000 to. How does someone go about applying for one of those grants? Yeah, so it's a really simple process. So we open up the expressions of interest. We put it out to organisations and charities throughout the area. Because it's Impact 100 Fremantle, we specialise in the the greater Fremantle area for that particular grant. But organisations from anywhere can apply as long as their work is for that project is focused in Fremantle. Are there any other foundations in Perth that are similar to the Fremantle Foundation that, you know, that specific to the Subiaco, to, to Midland, Armidale, areas like that? No, so we've found that we're actually the only metropolitan community foundation in Western wow. Australia. So there are a couple operating down south in Denmark and Albany, but within WA, we're the metropolitan one. So we've found our donors are starting to come from areas outside of Fremantle as well. Now, your journey to there was, it's quite interesting because you were approached to join the advisory committee yes. at the foundation towards the end of your studies. How did the opportunity present itself? Sure. So I think I grew up in Fremantle. So I've kind of, I think you start to create a network of where you grow up and knowing people. And so I knew the executive officer, Dylan Smith, through a few other people. And, and he approached me wanting someone a bit younger to come on the advisory committee and to have kind of a, a youth perspective, I suppose, the benefit of being a young graduate or nearing to be a young graduate. And I said, sure, I thought it was a great opportunity and I, I, I didn't know why, why I should turn it down. I, I couldn't think of a good reason. <laughs> now, and because you've been doing a lot of volunteer work for them mm-hmm. previously as well, weren't you? Sure, yeah. I, I think I, I went to a high school where they really encouraged to do volunteer work. It was part of the curriculum and it was something that I really enjoyed and found meaning from. So, yes, I'd, I'd been working for the First Nations Deaths and Custody Watch mm. Committee as a volunteer on the campaign committee. And, and since then as well, I've kind of expanded to, to volunteer for some of the organisations that I've begun working with as well. So do you volunteer still today? Because I mean, I guess it's quite clear that you chose to to volunteer towards causes that you're passionate about and it's helped, I guess, in your early career. So Mm -hmm. do you 
because uh, I, I see a lot of young grads that they do volunteer and then they get their job and then the volunteering kind of wanes off a bit. So how's it been for you? Um, I think I've probably ramped up my volunteering, wow. I suppose, ramped up. I, um, I'm now the secretary of the First Nations Dust and Custody Watch Committee. So wow. that's a, a board position that I was elected to late last year. Mm. And I, so I've, I've been, I've been a, a campaign member for a few years and, and have recently stepped into the secretary role. And also then, I suppose, working in philanthropy, you meet people who run charities and they're so inspiring. It's really inspired me to, to then put my hand up and volunteer more. So I also coach a basketball team for a program called Night Hoops, which is a, yeah. an inclusion and diversion program. For and that's that in the Fremantle, area, Greater Fremantle area, it's I believe, It's in the Greater Fremantle it? area. So Night Hoops have actually run in Midland, in Northern, they've run in Pinjarra and Mandra, but I volunteer for Southside, which yep. is kind of the Coburn Fremantle yep. area. So it's, it's kids in my area that I'm, I'm helping to coach. Awesome. And did you have a basketball background yourself? <laughs> no, I have absolutely no basketball background. <laughs> I grew up playing netball, so I find it really odd when people catch the ball and keep running. <laughs> but I, I love sport and yep. the kids, know, they know what they're doing. They're, they're experts in basketball. I'm really there to facilitate them going on and off the that, court. That's being. really cool because... I'm kind of always curious about, you know, like why do people choose to volunteer? Because, mm. I mean, do you have to be passionate about the program or the, I guess you can say, about the cause mm. that you're passionate? Do you have to be passionate about it or is this a case of, oh, I want to give back to my local community? Look, I, th- I think it helps to be passionate about what yeah. you're doing. But with Night Hoops, I, I went down to see what it was all about because they'd applied for a grant and Griffin Longley, who started the program, said to me, you should really come down and check it out. And I just fell in love with the kids that, that were there and that were so positive and and so and I, I got hooked and kept going back so I, I, you don't have to be passionate in the beginning but I think passion can grow from what you're doing did any of these this passion ever develop as well from your time at UWA for sure definitely so I was I was originally enrolled in law and took a gap year after high school and realized that at this, that moment in time, I, I wasn't meant to be a lawyer and I just wanted to pursue something that I really enjoyed. Sure. So I went on to study history and politics and I think I was really influenced by some of my lecturers. So Ethan Blue and Jeremy Martins were really big on Australian history, colonial history and and race, race relations as well. And through my, my relationship with Ethan Blue as a lecturer, I actually then joined the Deaths and Custody Watch Committee. So okay. it was him who introduced yep. me to that organisation. It just, sh- I mean, just shows the opportunities that UWA provides you as well, doesn't it? For sure. It definitely does. I think back on my time at UWA and I think it's really shaped who I am as a person and what I believe in. And yeah, I've been very lucky. So you talked about you were going to study law. Why study arts? Because for a lot of people... They sometimes choose arts because they're not sure what they want, want to do. So, you know, what, what was your desire in doing an arts degree? I looked back to high school and I thought about what I really enjoyed studying and what I found the most passionate. And it was history and it was politics. And I thought that's, that's where I really needed to start. Maybe I'd go into law later, but I haven't so far. But I just thought I needed to pursue something that I actually cared about because yeah. then I would, I'd put in the effort and, and do my best. It's interesting you touch on politics because before this podcast, you were just having a bit of a chat on their way to the studio. You're talking about your time in Washington and it kind of turned you off becoming a politician. <laughs> Can you let the listeners out there tell them about your journey to Washington and what your role was there and just the amazing opportunities that, you know, you got to spend some time at the White House. I mean, things like that is amazing. Yeah, so uh, in my final year of university, I went along to an information session at UWA run by a couple of students who'd just come back from the uni capital Washington internship program. 
it's a program that's run by Eric Fettering, who is a, a former Hill staffer in America and now works for KPMG. And that's his form of philanthropy, is running this program. And so there's 10 universities around Australia that are involved, UWA being one of them, and they match students to congressional offices on the Hill in Washington, D.C., and they match you based on the idea that you have a connection with the, the congressman or woman that you'll be working for. So I just thought, oh, it's such a great opportunity. There must be so many amazing people going for it, but I've got to apply. I've got to see where this can go. And I was lucky, lucky enough to be picked. And I, I went and worked for Congressman James Clyburn, who's the third-ranked Democrat in the House of Representatives. Wow. And you talking about uh, how it kind of put you off <laughs> wanting to be a politician. And it's not necessarily House of Cards, because we know you <laughs> watched a bit of that in preparation sure. for your time over there. When you were younger, did you think of becoming a politician? And then I guess as you got a bit older, you're like, you know, that's just not for me. I did. I did when I was younger. I thought I, for a period, I thought I might be Australia's first female prime minister, but that milestone's been crossed. (laughs) (laughs) I, I did think about it and look, never say never, but I think I really admire politicians and what they do. And I think it's, it's a big commitment to put your life on the, you know, kind of did, your career out there like that. Yeah, did you, I guess your time in Washington, did you see the other side of politics and just go, wow, they do a lot of work that no one actually sees? We just see generally what's through the media and mm-hmm. what they want us to see. But was there a newfound respect of, like, I can't believe the amount of time and effort that goes into these things and sometimes what they put their work into, it doesn't actually come through. Uh, for sure, I definitely did. And I think one of my biggest lessons I learned was, and Eric says this a lot, is that politics is about people. And it doesn't matter necessarily if you're a Democrat or a Republican, it really comes down to the person that you are and the connections that you make. But they work incredibly hard on the Hill. I came in just after they'd had a, a government shutdown and they'd been working long hours, not knowing if they were gonna get paid or when the next paycheck was coming in because the government had shut down, but they were there taking calls from constituents, trying to reassure them that they'd get it back on track and that everything would be okay. And, and they were doing this not, not for the pay, but because it was their job and their job was bigger than that. Was that shut down in 2013, if I can remember? Because I believe I was in the States at the same time and it was uh, causing a little bit of chaos, even just with things like being able to see a national park. Yes, exactly. And I think it was the first shutdown in a long time. Um, so it was it was quite confronting for a lot of people not knowing what was going on for tourists, but yep. also for, for the population of America as well. So I came in and started in the beginning of January, so just after they got the government back up and running. Ah, there you go. And you would have just enjoyed their beautiful winter there in January, I didn't did. you? I did. I was there for the polar vortex. I have never been so cold in my <laughs> life. <laughs> and you got a bit sick one day when the French president did come through? I came down with the flu. I think it it was not long after a snow day, so it was probably one too many snowball fights. <laughs> and I, I'd, I'd received an invitation through my office to to go to the official welcoming of the French president, Francois Hollande, at the White House. And I woke up at 4 a.m. I was due there at 6 a.m. And I felt so unwell. I've never felt that unwell in my entire life. And I was messaging my family back at home going, I really don't think I can make it. I feel so sick, but I'll regret it if I don't. And so I pulled myself out of bed I put on a hundred layers and I went and stood on the White House lawn with hundreds of other people in the cold for a good hour and a half before the French president arrived but it it was worth it it was an amazing experience and Barack Obama and, and Michelle Obama were there as well and I was did you get a selfie with the Obamas oh I've got a photo of Obama reaching out his hand over about 20 other people towards <laughs> me so I was probably like maybe five or six meters away from him at, at the closest but no selfie unfortunately I did 
on a tour of the White House have his two dogs, Sonny and Bo, run past me. And that was another highlight. <laughs> a big dog person. So. That's awesome. That's, now, taking photos in the White House, like, was there any rules? Because I know I spoke with an, a, a graduate, Clancy Rudforth, quite a few years mm-hmm. ago, and he was t- talking to me about his time there. And he was getting a few sneaky photos in because I got told no photos in this mm. area of the White House. Like, did you fall into any of those issues? I don't think so. I um, not, not in the White House, no. I, I remember taking a lot of photos on the official tour, but you were behind certain barriers. Yeah. But I was there for State of the Union, and that's a big deal is when the president comes and addresses both houses of Congress at once. And um, I, there's a television show I can't, called The Designated Survivor, which is kind of on that concept. Okay. They have a, a designated survivor from Congress who has to stay away under security in case a bomb goes off and everyone dies. So they'll be left to take over the country. Wow, okay. So security is intense. Yeah. And tickets are very limited. It's a big event. And my congressman had an office on, in the dome. And so my, my office sent me over to, to take over some post at 20 to 5. And after 5 o'clock, no one was allowed to, to go without a special pass. And I, I kind of worked my way up into the viewing gallery and had to wander around and kind of leisurely took my time delivering the post <laughs> until until a security guard noticed me and, and escorted me to the office to deliver the post and then off the premises and back back to the other side. Hey, you took advantage <laughs> of it. I love it. I love it. One thing I really want to talk to you about as well is this week on March 8th is International Women's Day. What does the day mean for someone like yourself as a, such a young recent grad? Yeah, look, I consider myself a feminist and I think that we still have a long way to go till we have gender equality, Mm. um, pay equality. I think there's a a lot of issues still to be addressed, but I think International Women's Day is about celebrating women. I think it's really important. I think um, as well for NAIDOC this year, and I think it ties in with International Women's Day, they have a really great focus. It's because of her we can. I might have got the wording slightly wrong, but I think... You know, it's about recognising who's come before us and who's put in the hard yards and, and also recognising how far we still have to go. And have you had any important mentors in your life that have helped? Yeah, I think, I mean, definitely I, it, it comes in, mentors come in all shapes and sizes. So, I mean, down to my mum setting a great example. She finished her university degree when my brother and I were, were very young and she's gone on to get her PhD and is now an academic. Wow. I think I've been very lucky because I work for such a small organisation. I think the opportunities that I've had at the Fremantle Foundation, both with my boss, Dylan Smith, and then the very supportive board that we have, I consider them all mentors. They've been fantastic in helping me navigate the beginning of my career and work out what it is that I'm really passionate about and help kind of channel me into that within in the, the office as well. And with you channeling in the office, but, mm. you know, there's also you're going to go to be such a big, bright future for you. So what does the future look like for Hannah? Um, it's a great question. I, it's one I've been pondering a lot recently. I think up until now, I've been really driven by doing what I love and what I'm passionate about. And I think that's just what I'm going to continue to do. As long as I keep enjoying this this job and I feel like I'm being challenged, that's what I'm going to keep doing and see where it leads. I've been lucky to attend conferences over east and in Canada with other community foundations and also in Wales. So I'm just really excited to see where the journey takes me. And you're in, you're working in a growing industry and I think philanthropy, not as many people are probably aware of or aware of what you, you do or just think, 
you're just asking for money, <laughs> things like yeah. that. So, I mean, you're changing people's lives. I, I, yeah, I think, you know, philanthropy does change lives and I think it has a real role to play as well at the moment in, in overcoming kind of like institutional and structural barriers as well. I think there's a great role for philanthropy there through advocacy. But definitely, I think people are scared of the word philanthropy and people struggle to say the word philanthropist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think everyone thinks you need to be a billionaire, you need to be Bill Gates or Twiggy Forrest to yeah. be a philanthropist. And I don't think that's the case. To- I totally agree. Now, we've run out of time, Hannah, but really appreciate you coming in today. And if anyone wants to find out more about the Fremantle Foundation, where should they go? They should go to www.fremantlefoundation.org.au or check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Perfect. Check them out. They're doing amazing work and Hannah look forward to seeing you soon great thank you so much thank you for downloading today's podcast did you know that UWA has alumni networks in Perth Albany Canberra New York United Kingdom Hong Kong Malaysia and Singapore you can become an active alumni member and stay connected to your UWA community by visiting the alumni website today 